Hello, hello. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're back. We're going to be talking about chapter 14 and chapter 15. Some of it is kind of out there. A lot of cleansiness laws and especially for bodily fluids and still skin checking and uh, how to purify themselves. So it'll be an interesting discussion. And I know uh, Jared has a lot to say about all that stuff. So we'll just get started. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking time off your holiday busy week to do fun stuff in Leviticus. Chapter 14, Cleansing Lepers. So I think in the last chapter, we went over quite a bit on how to detect skin diseases and what they had to do. And if it turned white, then it was okay. And if it didn't, then they were leprous. And it wasn't sure if it was related to some sin or if it's a natural thing that happened while they were out in the wilderness, some passages in the last chapter kind of made it out that maybe perhaps some of this was resulting in some sort of sin um, because they have to take it outside the camp and Mm. purify them and some didn't make it back. So for this chapter, there's a little bit of continuation and then it goes into a lot more detail about other bodily fluids. Uh, So the law for cleansing lepers, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. It shall be reported to the priest and then the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him and see if the disease is healed in a leprous person. Then the priest shall command that two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet fabric and hyssop be brought for him who is to be cleansed. The priest shall command that one of the birds be slaughtered in a clay vessel over running water, and as for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop, and then shall dip them in living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. I'm not too clear on what the purpose is for two live clean birds and having cedar wood and scarlet fabric and hyssop. Some of this stuff was kind of similar but not really when the exodus they had to dip the blood in hyssop and then put it over the doorpost this is a little bit different but what do you think about it i think the hyssop is actually a pretty good reference because um in a way uh god was cleansing egypt the israelite well not cleansing of the israelites but it was uh cleansing his nation of the egyptians he was basically getting rid of the Egyptians' hold over the Israelites. And this is similar of getting rid of the leprosy as hold over the person. So I, there's a similar aspect to that. And then um, cedar wood, I know it's a very fragrant wood. Yeah. Um, I've, I've worked with cedar before. Um, it smells really nice. And it's a really strong wood. And it's really good for using on exteriors. Symbolism for that. Also, it's a pretty the tree itself is a pretty big tree and the branches they spread out really far it kind of goes on later on and towards the end of the book lebanon cedar woods being cut down remember that verse Mm -hmm. it was referenced that how lebanon had these tall cedar wood trees and yeah so solomon used the cedar of lebanon yeah yeah, and judgment, the they were all cut down. But I do know it's a very fragrant wood. Not exactly sure on the symbolism behind tree. And well, you know what? There is some symbolism behind the tree and the healing because in Revelation it says that the tree of life will be used for the healing of nations. So yeah. there's that 
there's that connotation to it. So it's kind of looking forward to that. It's a symbol of healing, obviously. And also the it's a great tree. So the fact that it's a great tree and it's a huge tree is kind of symbolic of the tree of life that we're going to experience is going to cleanse the cleanse the nations um, in the, you know, in the final days when we get to heaven. It's a majestic, fragrant tree. Perhaps that was one of the trees that was in the garden. Of Eden, it's probably gonna would reference maybe the tree of life, like you said. What about the scarlet fabric? Why scarlet is red, so why the red fabric? It's not just red, it's really bright red, almost like an orange. I'm not too sure on that one. Um, I don't have any like really, you know, the, it, other the than scarlet thing comes up so many times, like Esau and Jacob, the brothers, where one of them had the red scarlet thread you know that that symbolism is kind of throughout the whole bible that's true well also we get we in our own symbolism the scarlet letter from more recent times in our history was the sign of uncleanness adultery so to speak so so i think that maybe has a reference to blood or something you know maybe christ's blood in some way because they have to take one of the birds and slaughter in the clay vessel over running water. So that is a sacrifice. But the other one is let go. And the living bird is the one that gets a cedar with the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them. And the living bird in the blood of the bird that's killed over the running water. The running water, it, it kind of, that reminds me of how Christ is the living water. The, also uh, baptism, too. It's yeah. Like, but the bird is killed in the living water, and then the living bird flies away with the blood of the dead bird. This is the part that, you know, I got a little confusing. I didn't really have any good answers for this one. But it seems like very ritualistic, more than, you know, what you would think natural cleansing. God's trying to make a point here. Again, it's a symbolism of Christ and then what's slaughtered and how he died, you know, on the cross. But it's not clear why the priests were told to do this without God actually just telling them the reason why. And then, of course, it continues on with the sprinkling, which you've already seen before, so that then he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from leprosy, and he shall pronounce him clean and let the living bird loose in the open field. You know, what does that have to do with leprosy? Because, <laughs> you know, having the two birds, one being, it's like the bird is being, after he's pronounced clean, then the living bird is set loose. So is that like the the atonement or substitution for the sin and leprosy that's going on into the bird in a way. I think that's a I think that's pretty um insightful uh what you just said about it being the kind of the atonement for the bird. But I think another thing it reminds me kind of like the ministry of John the Baptist and and uh Jesus. So you know how John was killed by Herod? Yeah. John came before Christ, then after. It kind of just reminds me of the story of John the Baptist's relationship to Christ. And oh, I see. Not yeah. to say that John was leprous, but rather both of them had such a role in in um, cleansing the people oh, of Israel. Oh, you know what? You are right. So now I'm getting that. So like the one bird, if you akin that to John the Baptist... Because that's the one that died. And his blood was sprinkled. And then Jesus 
came after John the Baptist, where John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the water. And that's what kind of happened where Jesus, or the second bird, is being baptized in the blood water of the first bird, and then it flies away. If you can the second bird to Jesus, then he's let loose in the open field, kind of taking the sin upon the world, all people. So this bird is sort of a substitution for the one who's being cleansed here. But overall, symbolically, that would also mean that Jesus was the one that took away all the sins for all. Yeah, so that's kind of what I first think of. And then another thing I think of when I heard that is the earthen vessel that it's killed in. It's like a mirror of Christ because what are we? We're earth, we're dust of the earth. And Christ came in an earthen vessel, so to speak, to sacrifice himself to save us and to cleanse us. Because God always talked about being the potter and we're the clay to mold us into whatever vessels that we are. But then... Some of them here are broken. I do know that when we read ahead, it was kind of analyzing in between the wicked and the saints, the way it talked. So I guess we'll see that symbolism as I continue to read this. And of course, seven is the number of completion, basically a symbol of the disease being over. And you know what? It kind of reminded me of things that how the current medical system, you know, when they talk about infectious diseases, they let this go on for years and months when really everything that's been shown here, at most they would check it for seven days and somehow the disease would have to either progress or die off within seven days. And at most only 14 days. The seventh day is the day any diseases would turn its course. You know, modern day, they don't have a time limit. I think this kind of teaches me that there is like all infectious stuff, germs, they have a seven day period. And so I'm kind of going with that. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's obviously very effective to have some, to have washing and like to be washed with running water too. It's like even, even like reading these Levitical, like rituals it actually makes a lot of sense scientifically to wash something with running water oh yeah um uh, because i don't know if you know this but the early 1700s and 1800s even they would actually just wash their hands in stagnant water um, oh yeah doctors and nurses yeah that's why like you didn't want to go to the hospital the hospital means place of dying doesn't mean like a place of feeling like um it's a place you go when you're gonna die basically so yeah before the washing of hands stuff you know i i read stories where the doctors like would go deal with the dead like pathologists or and then come and deliver babies yep so a lot of mothers were dying because they didn't even have the they would get infected every so like they go touch the dead and they deliver a baby and then like had such a high mortality rate then they finally figured out that they had to wash their hands. And that's how it started, you know, like at least a basic cleansingness could prevent most of the diseases. Yeah, and stagnant water, it would just have the same germs, wouldn't go anywhere. So you're basically mm-hmm. just dipping it to nothing. Okay, so he's to be cleansed, shall wash his clothes and shave off his hair and wash himself in water so that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into a camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days so this part makes total sense right you wash your clothes yeah. you shave off all your hair because hair is where germs would lie if you're mm-hmm. healthy shaving it all off then washing yourself it really kind of cleanses everything and then they have to stay outside the tent for seven days so that makes total sense 
Um, but then it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all of his hair off, his head and his beard and his eyebrows, all that his hair shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes. Also, he shall wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. Well, having that extreme to wash every part of your yeah. hair off, that's a good idea, too, because in those days, you know, they kind of lived outdoors or not like we're living today. And they wouldn't, you know, so having like if there were any sort of infectious stuff, even part of it on your body. So, you know, what I, I thought it was kind of so strange how people were in the, you know, 2020 wanted to wear masks and do all these other things. But then everything else was left exposed, you know, and especially yeah. here, you're touching all the doorknobs, everything that you touched, like it was no way. And you have like ton of body hair on, you know. And I'm thinking this is, it's telling you that, that if it was anything truly infectious out there, you would have to shave everything and walk around, you know, if you really wanted to do that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because like a lot of atheists and stuff will like mock the videos. Like, Look at all these arbitrary rules, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, um, this, this is literally what you do if you have an infectious disease yeah in modern days so yeah okay i guess it's all arbitrary no it's not it's just like you have to speak like people don't understand like it's like why does the bible not just tell you about all the science and all the bacteria and viruses like because you're talking to people who have no reference point for those words you yeah, like I mean, they lived it right god lived it and told them what to do to be God doesn't tell people things that's beyond their understanding because it would do them no good. It would suit no purpose. Like a lot of times people bring up like, uh, well, you know, there's so many, like you're not supposed to wear two different fabrics and stuff in, in well, there's Leviticus. A and that just like, but yeah, but like no one wants to actually look into these things and be like, oh, we don't want to make sense of this. We just want to criticize it and be ignorant. Yeah, I think a lot of people that, you know, they don't really appreciate God. They don't. They don't want to hear what He has to say or why. I, you know, I talked about it many times about why you shouldn't mix fabric, different fabrics as one. One because you, it takes a lot of processing for each of these. Especially today, they use chemicals. In the olden days, if you had cotton, you would spun it into yarn or fab threads. And then make that. And if it, you know, once you don't need that fabric anymore, or it ultimately just goes back in the ground and dissolves and without any harm to anybody. Same with wool, anything natural, silk, wool, or cotton that would go back into the ground and everything is harmless. But today they mix with even cotton, they'll mix it with ton of chemicals. So you almost everybody's wearing plastics. And all their mm -hmm. that that's not really conducive for for um, very clean society. But and on the other hand, there's another aspect to things too, where um, you know you don't want to wear two different kinds of fabrics because you know it wears out the fabrics faster. Because um, one one type of fabric will have a higher tensile strength than another one, and then because of that, it'll actually when you shrink one of them, it'll tear the other. Yeah, cotton and wool would not be able to wash well together anyway no but it's just the more you mix and match the more processing it takes so that kind of takes away from everything going back to the earth the way it started and today literally they mix and match everything constantly so there's no nothing pure and like 
it doesn't degrade. Like all the clothing today, if it was put in the landfills, it would take thousands of years before it would degrade anything. But it made sense if you're living an organic life, you know, to what he wanted for his people. They were living very organically in the wilderness with him. They didn't have washer and dryers. They didn't have any comfort like we have today. They didn't have an electricity. Everything was super organic. Things worked very differently. Like people don't understand how like differently things work when you're yeah. just literally trying to survive and make clothes for yourself. Like use like yeah, it doesn't seem very serious now to have two different kinds of fabrics in one piece of clothing. But back then it was a serious thing because it is easier to tear. There were also like ritualistic oh. implications to wearing multiple fabrics. There were there were all sorts of of different cultural and different actually like pragmatic things like you just didn't do because it just wouldn't work but we're living right. in Even just cleaning them you know and then it, dad did talk about a lot about mold and especially we just got done through leprosy so all these things that kind of you know play together on what they wear and how they take care of them so it and, wouldn't and make sense for them also there's a whole fact of human understanding and context and reference points like People living back in this day have a very different reference point than we do. Yeah, a lot of the the um, even euphemisms they have are completely lost on us because we don't do the things they did. We're not taking care of animals, like we're not really living oh, off right, the land yeah. or building our own tents or houses or anything or wandering in a wilderness. Like, so that's even a their good point because you would understand. transfer a lot of the diseases from the animals to the humans if they're constantly being around them and taking care of them so they would have to be extra careful so that makes sense why they had to do all the stuff that they did especially if animals and humans were kind of in the same area you know mm -hmm. yeah and they had no modern waste treatment facility yeah. like it's not like they had sewers either like so they they like all these laws even with menstruation and everything they make sense on a uh cleanliness level um, yeah. And everybody's like, well, uh, we don't put our women away for seven days anymore. It's like, yaks, we have modern sewage systems. We're not living in the wilderness. We're not living in the ancient times where we don't have these luxuries. It's like, it wasn't to oppress women. It was just to keep people without disease. And even in several parts of Leviticus, it says, if you do as I command, you will not have the diseases of the Egyptians. I mean, think of the hardship the women had to do if they had to menstruate back then. They wouldn't have like gone on and got something from pharmacy to pick up to keep everything clean and organized. Imagine like if they, because it, it does talk about they had to clean the sheets and anybody who sat on the sheets, like everybody had to be clean that they couldn't even. So they were kind of like isolation for a little while. So imagine if there wasn't any way to like isolate the blood and it's just going on clothing and sheets and stuff so it's basically telling us that that body fluids are infectious which we already know that today that bodily mm -hmm. fluids are very infectious and that's how people transfer diseases most of them actually is through bodily fluids okay so on the eighth day he shall take two lambs without blemish one ood lamb a year old without blemish and three tenths of ephah of wheat flour mixed with oil for the grain offering and one log of oil the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is made clean and those things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent meeting. Then the priest shall take one male lamb, offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. 
And he shall slaughter the lamb in the place where they killed the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy sanctuary. For as a sin offering is, is the priest, so is the guilt offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who has to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And then priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it on the palm of his own left hand. Then the mm -hmm. priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in the left hand and shall sprinkle from the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the rest of the oil that is in his hand, the priest shall put on the tip of the right ear of him who has who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot and on the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil that is the priest's hand, he shall pour upon the head of him who is to be cleansed, and the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. So all this we've seen before. We talked about why the tip of the right hand, the ear, and the nose. Um, but do you have any thoughts on all it of this? Kind of, it, the symbolism of that is kind of hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil. Oh, Although yeah. They don't put any like blood on the eye, but... It's kind of the same kind of principle where uh, you're anointing each different section of the body because it's associated with action, which is associated with, you know, being forgiven of your actions and your deeds and of your intentions um, and both both weak ones and strong intent, both weak actions and strong intent actions. That's why it's on the left and the right. Um, and it falls in line with the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So slaughter of the lamb is referencing to Jesus again. So a lot of his similar practices for what we've already covered on how to handle the sin offering and the burnt offering and the grain offering. So pretty much this is summarizing all of it, even the guilt offering and what they had to do. I think it's actually really important that summarizing it because the cleansing of sin is the same as the cleansing of disease because sin is a disease yeah. in of itself because it produces death and that's exactly what disease produces. So there's this kind of concept of the spiritual and the physical not being separated right here. And also there's a coverall kind of scenario happening too, whether, you know, it's just a disease in case it is a disease caused by sin, they're just doing a full sin offering and sacrifice as well. But I think, I think this is what led some of the Pharisees to be more rigorous with their kind of accusing people because, you know, they have diseases or they're leprous that they must be sinners or yeah. they're blind. They must be sinners. But really this actually, it's just an act of mercy. It's like, whether it is sin or it isn't, you need to be cleansed. I think that's what Jesus was when he was walking among the lepers in the new Testament. Essentially, that's what he was saying, that, yeah, it wasn't the fact that it was because of sin that he was focused on, which it could be from sin, from reading Leviticus, um, but that fact that he had mercy on them and was doing the act of cleansing of what is actually happening here, because he is also the high priest. So when he went in to heal the sick and the blind and the leprous, he was actually doing all of the, he's fulfilling what they've already done in Leviticus, right? So well, he's think, essentially doing the practice of what these guys had to do symbolically, but then he came to do it in reality. Um, yeah. Yeah. And this is, going through Leviticus is really great because it helps you understand how Christ actually fulfilled the law. Yeah. And how he's currently fulfilling, like it's all fulfilled. 
now. It's just, it's kind of crazy how I think a lot of the time we don't like understand exactly like what it means when Christ says, I came to fulfill the law. Sometimes I think about it, it's like, oh yeah, he kept the law, he did all the things, but he's like, no, he was, the law was a representation of who he is and what you do. The law was a type and shadow of who, of what Christ's ministry would be and who he would be and who he is. So that's how he fulfills it. But the, the fact that this is actually telling us and them what sin would look like and what they had to do to remove it, which was a whole process. It wasn't like God could have just miraculously kept them clean, could have just instantaneously healed them, just like Jesus did. So he's saying that because you live in a big community now, which I'm saying it's over 600,000 Israelites, according to what it was said earlier. So if it's that many people, that's a lot of people. And they're just hanging out in the wilderness with their tents and their primitive life, uh, water, food, all of that, and living conditions. So then they're hanging out with the animals and among themselves in close quarters. So all of this was going to happen, but then God, it only happened, I think, because of sin. Although some, you know, it's just spreading and maybe they had nothing to do with it. But the idea was that God was showing them this is what sin and decay and death looks like without you actually taking that process, like I could have kept you holy and clean and I've been trying to train you. And he trained all the priests to inspect and do all the work for them. But then ultimately when Jesus came, like all of this was already fulfilled. But then the first thing that Jesus was started doing, he was starting to heal people and started cleansing them, taking out demons. So that was cleansing and purifying people of what they already had in them you know so he's like going around first thing he would do is like remove all their demons then heal them and then you know then he went into all the communities that nobody would go into like the lepers stuff so i can kind of see now that this was really just not only a foreshadow but it was educating them that this is what sin and death looks like and this is what you have to do and the miracle is like the god's grace and the mercy mm -hmm. like it's He's holy and he can make that happen. And then what he's actually doing for us, that's the gift. Like we didn't deserve it, but that was a gift. Like, okay, I wanted to show you that. I think I, I did not say that well, but. I, I think you said it great. And it kind of inspired another thought that I had is like, also let's not forget about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, like we benefit uh, tremendously from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the teachings of God's law upon our hearts. Yeah. And so if we're walking in Christ, that means we're walking with the paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of the time we often forget how the Holy Spirit is a teacher. We get lost in like the kind of like very hippy dippy. I want to have an experience of God. We forget that the helper is to help us understand and know what to do and what decisions to make. Um, and that's yeah. a big portion of our experience with God is to have the teacher, the Holy Spirit, helping us understand the Bible, helping us understand our lives and our place uh, amongst God and his saints and yeah, because, our fellow you know, believers. Although we didn't get to be around when Jesus Day was around, when he left, he essentially came in a spirit form back in the Holy Spirit to live directly with us. 
which was, you know, even better than him being on earth. Now it's like he's with every believer all at once. Like you said, you know, he, he he's the comforter and also tells us what the truth is, which is, I think it's the biggest miracle of all, you know, to have that. A lot of the people, like I, when I talk to them on different forums, they want like empirical evidence, like the Holy Spirit, they, they can't fathom that concept that the God is actually living inside of us and that he said well you know how can you know because the holy spirit can tell you one thing and then tell somebody else something else and that you know all these different interpretations but i mean that's not the holy spirit that's just people i think the whole well the other problem is too you don't prove everything in the same way like yeah. show me show me empirically the number seven yeah well yeah it's just a concept right well where like and then people be like well concepts are just generated by your brain it's like yeah. well where exactly in your brain is number seven show me exactly <laughs> where it is i mean it's a concept that we apply to understand mathematics which already exists but well numbers where is mathematics in the universe where, where is the math? I don't see the math under the microscope. No, you, you don't. Yeah, you don't get the. It's a, it's a concept that we have to learn and how to interpret it. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's what, a. What my point is, is they have, they have no justification for that, which they're granted. They like, like, you'll they grant don't. logic and you'll grant math. But you have no justification for either of them. And well, you just they assume trust math and they don't trust the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. Right, exactly. You don't you you trust you trust the truth of logic, but you don't trust the spirit of truth, which provides an ontological justification for right. there being logic. So it's like you're not giving credit where credit is due. You're actually just trying to play this game where you're pretending like you don't need a justification for that, which you're just arbitrarily granting yeah what i fear is happening right now they're putting too much power and faith in biblical scholars and they don't even have to be believers to be a biblical scholar they could just study it and become phd experts on a particular topic but then i see most of them fighting against the word of god and not really supporting it if they're taking so much time to study biblical stuff they should like open up the word even more to be like consistent with what god's saying is true but i i kind of often feel like they're always fighting with the god's word like it didn't mean what it said or it's not as important or you know like things like that that you always hear like well what it is is they're fighting their own intellectual pride yeah like, no one wants to submit themselves to that they don't understand if somebody can submit themselves to something they understand but somebody would Probably not be particularly interested in submitting to something they don't understand on uh, who's an intellectual because somebody who's intellectual takes very much pride in understanding things and coming to understanding and learning about but if something is ontologically impossible to understand unless you're god then that's hard to submit to it's hard to humble yourself and realize oh i can never fully understand well you have to trust god then what he says is true you know anyone who's reading the, especially like these early chapters the book of leviticus which it sounds crazy times but i think a lot of it we can intuitively know that it's correct but some of it you know we don't really know why god did the way he did it but that doesn't make it wrong right we just have to kind of accept that what he's saying was right for the time, right for the community, and he had a purpose in teaching them all these things.
also like revelation god's revelation to man through history is progressive it's not just it's not god just doesn't give everybody all the information all at once right at any given time because god's wise he's not a fool he doesn't just give everything that is out there to beings who can't understand it or have any reference point to know it god actually wants you to know him in a relational way and how you get to know somebody is building trust and developing faithfulness in each other like just like you don't initially trust your your wife or your your friend right away you take time building experience with that person and over time understanding who they are and growing together then you will have more of a confidence and a faithfulness to your friend or your spouse for sure this, the same is with god and all of humans and when i say all of humans i mean humans spanning throughout all time yeah and so it's it's easy for easy for us to forget that um different times require different measures i mean today it's we ha live in a very different world we know a lot of things through knowledge and internet you know things that we've been bombarded with information and fast-paced Growing yeah. society, we're, we're also having a epidemic of foolishness. Yeah. Verse 19, the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his ceremonial uncleansiness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall offer the burnt offering and grain offering on the altar and the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much that he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him and one-tenth of the an ephah of wheat flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and a log of oil and two turtle doves or two pigeons such as he's able to afford. The one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. You shall bring them on the eighth day for his cleansing to the priest at the entrance of the tent meeting before the Lord. The priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering along with the log of oil and priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering and the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the tip of the right ear, him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. Next, the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand, and the priest shall sprinkle with him his right finger on some of the oil that is left hand and seven times before the Lord. Then the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the place of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil that is a priest's hand, he shall pour onto the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. He shall offer one of the turtle doves or the pigeon such that he can afford, even such he's able to get for one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering along with the grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. This is the law for a person who has a leprous sore who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. Well, a lot of the stuff, it's repeating all the offerings mm -hmm. and summarizing what they had to do, make the leprous person clean again. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I thought of another thing, um, just hearing yeah. the repeat of the ritual. So another thing is when they put the blood on the thumb, that's cleansing what you do with your hands. Yeah. And then when they put the blood on the big toe, that's 
you know, cleansing okay. where you go and where you okay. walk. Of course, on your ears, cleansing what you hear and what you receive into your oh, yeah. your. So we need a lot ears. of that <laughs> And then in and then pouring over your head is cleansing the whole. Oh, the mind. mind. That's good. I like that. That's a good connection there. And they did anoint the people to on their head to make them clean, but then also the priests put it on their own head too. So they were kind of anointing themselves as well. Okay, so the law about lepers' houses, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, when you have come into the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to you for a possession, I put a leprous disease in the house of the land, your possession. He who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, it shall... It, it seems to me there is some disease in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to examine the disease so that all that is in the house is not made unclean. Afterward, the priest shall go to examine the house. He shall examine the disease and see if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots which appear to go deeper than the wall. Then the priest shall go out to the door in the house and close off the house seven days. The priest shall return on the seventh day and shall examine if the disease has spread into the walls of the house. Then the priest shall command that they take away the stones to which the disease appears, throw them into the unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped all around and they pour out the plaster that they scrape off outside the city to an unclean place. And they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones and he shall take other plasters and shall plaster the house. Wow, this is like a total de decontamination of the house, just like a best yeah. of stuff that they do today. But um, so this is the interesting part, though. God is telling them instructions on how to purify a house. But then he says, I put the leprous disease in the house of the land of your possession. What's all that about? So I think as like a judgment to the Canaanites. Yeah. One of the judgments was diseases in their houses, perhaps. And so oh. if the Lord put a disease in one of the houses of the Canaanites for their wickedness. Then when they were to take the house for possession, that's how they would clean it. Oh, that's super smart. I didn't even think of that. So it was basically God was ahead of them, uh, putting diseases in all the houses so they would flee or whatever. Then they had to go back and clean up the. So it's kind of like a natural disaster that God did to wipe out the existing people. And then the new people came in and then like decontaminated everything. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think that's another thing. Like, people don't think about it. It's like, why did God send all the Israelites to slaughter all the people of Canaan? It's like, dude, yeah. the Canaanites had a long time to vacate. Yeah. Um, they had many signs to lead wicked. to. Oh, and they were totally wicked. Like, but God was still merciful to them. He gave them yeah. an extra 40 years. But also, at the same time, he punished Israel. So, like, even in God's judgment, he's merciful. Yeah, he could have wiped them out in one day, but he let them scatter. And yeah, and remember, not all the Canaanites were killed. There's uh, Rahab. Yeah, and like so everybody protecting some, and then the other ones. The worst they could have done was either catch the disease themselves or lose their house to leprosy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then again, this is this kind of saying that leprosy is kind of a sin disease in a way. 
I think it is, and sometimes it isn't. Yeah. I, I think I think the Bible accommodates from both very well, actually. And I think our temptation as humans is just to assume everything is super simple and super easy to understand. It's like, oh, this guy's suffering because he's sin. He must be yeah. wicked. It's like that's our temptation is to judge people, even yeah. though we we don't know. And you know what the other interesting thing about this passage is that so today we think of this stuff in mold, you know, like here is called leprosy. But I wonder if mold is the same thing as leprosy in this case. I think so there's a lot of different diseases that cause similar things to leprosy. Yeah. Like if you let necrosis could have been seen as That's leprosy. That's what mold is, right. Um, well, in certain molds, you have flesh-eating bacteria, you have all sorts of different molds that do different things to you, molds that can actually eat your flesh, Yeah, but slowly, and it's like, there's all sorts of stuff, like, they just had a catch-all, a term called leprosy, like, it, it's not like it's a diagnostic disease that a doctor of m the modern era is giving to somebody. Well, it's, it's like, a skin disease. Um, yeah, it's like, oh, you yeah. have a skin disease. It's called leprosy. And and it does eat the flesh. So I'm wondering if it was kind of like that mold-eating flesh thing, flesh-eating mold. Um, but the other thing was it, it, it tells me that stuff that's in the house, mold, leprosy, whatever, it's actually contagious to people. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it's not like the house just decays and goes away and it's nothing to you, but... It, it, if you live in that house, you're going to get sick and die and catch this disease. So I wonder why we don't have more of that today. Why do you think? I think we're prideful in our uh, understanding of the natural world that we don't think we need a spiritual side to things. I think it's our own pride and arrogance. Because um, like we, we tend to take things as either being spiritual or natural we don't ever see things as being both yeah but I'm, so, I'm wondering why do we not see much of this i mean we have seen molds and it, black mold that kind of takes over a house oh oh i just you just gotta look in the right places <laughs> <laughs> like it's everywhere like if yeah. you look close enough like just dude um if you're not taking care of your house and stuff dude you're gonna have sores all over your arms it's like look at drug addicts and homeless people who are you know shooting up with heroin they have scabs everywhere they look just terrible and a yeah. lot of the back they have bacterial infections and they they really like yeah it's really sad and it's like their houses are gross and they're sick all the time yeah but you know that's why you clean like, your house basically or you have to take care of your house right yeah but the thing with drug addicts is like the drugs kill them even faster than the, the disease can. Yeah. So it's just like everybody dies of an overdose. So like you don't actually see how many people have these diseases because like, oh, they died before the disease could get them. So you do see these kinds of houses. Like I, I live in a poorer part of Ohio and there are really rundown houses that homeless people live in and you do not want to breathe the air in there because there's um, black mold bacteria all sorts of stuff wow it's, it's just not it's not good and you know people going in and out of those houses like you can see 
the you can see the decay of them like you know one day you see a guy who looks normal going in there and then two months later that same guy looks like he's on death's door that's a good point so like people who live in those terrible conditions i mean it's the place that they're living in is what's killing them too yeah it's 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 all encompassing it's never just one thing yeah well that's too bad for all those he you know like slum lords who don't take care of their houses and stuff and people have to live in those kind of conditions especially outside of the U.S. I know a lot of them live in terrible homes. Okay, so if the disease comes again and breaks out in the house after he has taken away the stones and after he scraped the house and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and examine and see if the disease has spread in the house. If the disease has spread in the house, it is persistent leprosy in the house. It is unclean. He shall break down the house and stones and timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out the city into an unclean place. So that's total demolition. That means mm-hmm. it's never going to stop without having them burn it or take it out. Uh, moreover, he who goes into the house while it's closed off shall be unclean until the evening. And then he who sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes. And he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. If the priest comes in and examines it and sees the disease has not spread in the house, after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the disease is healed. He shall take two birds and a cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop to cleanse the house. Then he shall kill one of the birds in the clay vessel over the running water. He shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet and the living bird and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and the running water, sprinkle the house seven times. And then he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird with the running water and with the living bird with the cedar wood and with hyssop and with scarlet, but he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open fields and make atonement for the house, it shall be clean. This is the law for all manner of lepers, sort and scale, for the disease of the garment of or of the house, or for a swelling, or for a scab, or for a spot to discern when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. You know, uh, fun fact about cedar, it is uh, antimicrobial. Oh, yeah. Right. Very much so. And the other thing here, why didn't God just, so like, you know how we were talking about, it was a judgment on Canaanites and they had to just go in and rehab all the houses and stuff. Why didn't he just make it clean when they entered? Why go through all the rituals? Yeah, I always think in terms of God, God works in our world. A lot of the time, you know, he uses things of this world to interact with us because we understand it. I think of things sometimes in terms as a programmer, like somebody who programs a video game or is programming a video game, right? You create tools for the the programs in the video game to use in their environment. Like that's how you interact with them. So to speak. Maybe he was still teaching them about leprosy and how it can infect fabrics, homes, persons. It was kind of like a teaching thing for them. Well, yeah, we're also physical beings. We have to be taught in physical ways. Like, yeah. You can't just intellectually teach people. They're never going to learn that way. 
You know, yeah, like, they never learned if God had already prepared it, cleaned it, and then they just walk in into a brand new house, you know. You yeah. know how lazy we would be if that was the case? For like, everything, we wouldn't, yeah. for everything, like, we wouldn't even do anything. Like, right. our propensity is to be, I don't even know if it's a bad thing to necessarily be this way, but, like, we have to interact and form relationships with objects and the world around us as physical Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that's why we continue to have that even in the new heaven and new earth. We're not yeah. just sitting around. It always reminds me of that movie, uh, Eva. What's that? Wally, the robot. It's a cartoon movie. Uh, mm -hmm. Wally, the robot, and he falls in love with another modern robot called Eva. So at the end of the movie is when these all these humans are living on space in a spaceship, and they got so lazy that they were in the hovercrafts, and they couldn't move. They couldn't even walk because all the robots were just taking care of their every need. So they had no needs whatsoever and all the available food and all they were just doing were just eating. And so it just kind of reminds me, like, if we had everything instantaneously without working, there would be no purpose, no life. You don't even, there'd be no reason to even walk on earth, you know? Well, it's not only that, we wouldn't cease, to, we would cease to be human. Yeah. In, in a lot of this sense. Like, I, I want to say we would lose our soul, but we would lose our soul to an extent, like. It's very important for us to be physical because, like, what is the point of having hands unless yeah. you can pick things up? And, like, it's important for us to uh, interact on a three-dimensional level with things because that's also how we connect spiritually to the world as well. You can't separate the spiritual from the physical as a human because what you, Satan's doing. He's trying to get rid of the physical world and make it all digital. So your mm -hmm. interaction is only digital. You're plugged in to the system. I think that's what. Well, it makes it easier for him to like to interact with you. To yeah. influence you. Like, you got to understand, like, he wants you on the same playing field he's on. You know, kind of mimicking the Holy Spirit in a way, right? He's trying to. So, like, the Holy Spirit lives in the physical body, physical world, and us interacting with other humans. While Satan wants to have the same possession, but all be mm -hmm. digital and online, so then he can be manipulating your every thought. So now this is chapter 15, the law about bodily discharges. Some of this sounds pretty gross. It all makes sense to me, so I'm not too worried about it. But there are some things in here that was interesting that we could talk about, uh, especially when it's talking about male discharge stuff. Uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge out of his body, his discharge is unclean. This is the instruction for his uncleansiness in the discharge, whether the discharge from his body flows or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is his uncleansiness. So I think this is talking about like the mucus stuff that comes out of people. That in itself it would be unclean because that takes like, it's kind of cleaning up the body, trapping the bacteria and other things. And then it's expelling it out of your body. It is unclean even today. Like there's no ifs and but all that stuff is pretty nasty and gross. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I'm actually looking at the, the meaning of the word discharge. Oh, it's all, it's all types of discharge. Yeah. Any discharge. Mucus. Right. 
sperm. Yeah, well, um, it is that. Matter. But it does talk about sperm later on. So I do have a interesting thought about that too. But let me read to the next section and we'll see. Every bed on which the man with the discharge lies shall be unclean and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. Whoever touches the bed shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in the water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything where the man sat who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in the water and be unclean until the evening. Whoever touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in the water and be unclean until the evening. If a man with a discharge spits on somebody who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening. So what's with the spit if he's, oh, I see. So I think what it's saying is that if the man has the discharge, he already has something unclean that's coming out of his body. Mm -hmm. So that would yeah. include his spit. Yeah. Because right? you only get discharged if you have some sort of an infection going on. Yeah. And I'm not talking about sperm, but all the yeah. other things. Yeah. yeah. Like you could have like uh, pus coming out of a sore. or Yeah. But that also implies that that infection is in their bloodstream and mm -hmm. their, all their bodily fluids. Yeah. So that's why they couldn't spit on them. Otherwise, the other person would get sick too. Also, it's important that they also, you know, treat themselves as unclean until evening too, because like yeah. in the evening is usually when symptoms actually do start to present themselves. Right. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but at nighttime um, you feel a lot sicker than when during the day. Oh yeah. All the time. Something. Yeah. But then how do they get unclean until the evening? How do they get clean after that? Cause that, that also implies that they're clean. If, if they start getting sick, they'd still be unclean, you know? It's like this is implying that you know nothing else happens. Well, they have to wash their clothes and bathe, and then they remain. Then wait until out. the evening, right? Actually, they're actually cleaner. So that basically, when they wash themselves, there's a curing period of time mm -hmm. where nothing else will grow. And yeah, okay. Any saddle on which the man with the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And he, he who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in the water and be unclean until the evening. Whomever he has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes, bathe in water, and be unclean until the evening. The earthen vessel that he who has the discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of the wood shall be rinsed in water. When he who has the discharge is cleansed of his issue, then he shall count to himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, bathe his body in the running water and shall be clean. On the eighth day, he shall take two turtle doves and two pigeons come before the Lord at the entrance of the tent meeting and give them to the priest. This is, again, the seven days. So I'm thinking that because it's kind of like waiting to see if the disease progresses or not after seven days, just like we've already read, that this discharge is really talking about something progressing, infectious, mm -hmm. not like your normal... Spot. Not normal discharge, yeah. Right. Yeah, I think this is particularly just about disease kind of discharge. Right. And then it must be simple because then they got to bring the two turtle doves and two pigeons. 
Yep. Basically, I think it's just dealing with any disease that's not leprosy, uh, different to serious levels. The seriousness, they treat different diseases. Well, I didn't read the rest of it. it says, and the priest shall offer them 1% offering one and the other for burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him and the Lord for his discharge. So it must be sinful. That's how they got it. Because it was for a sin offering that they had to do. And the burnt offering was basically just food for the priests, which was done voluntarily. But sin offering was mandatory. So they had to do this if they had some sort of pronounced discharge that needed to be cleansed. Mm -hmm. so it sounds like to me it was something simple that uh, it was occurring. Maybe the early form of STDs. I don't know. I think it could be, yeah, it could be that. It could be just something that happens too, because it's also just a burnt offering as well. I think it's just kind of covering all the bases. You know, if it is sinful or if it is just something. Well, it would be just something if somebody else uh, didn't clean themselves. So like the first person. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so then the second person, if they sat on a sheet or something like that. But as long as they kept their body clean and washed everything, it would be okay. So mm -hmm. this is where it's talking about the sperm. So if any man has a seminal emission, then he shall wash all of his body in water and be unclean until the evening. Every garment and all the leather on his there seminal emission shall be washed with water and be unclean. Until the evening, if a man lies with a woman, there is an omission of semen. They shall both bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. So guess what I'm reading out of this? I think you probably could guess. One of the big questions that people always ask and try to make it seem like something is a sin. It's kind of hard to talk about, right? But a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So this seems like things are happening from the guy even without trying to have sex with a woman, right? So he's kind of mm -hmm. doing this on his own. Is that fair to say? Well, at least the, Yeah. Yeah. So God didn't say that was sinful, or did he? It's kind of just saying it's a fact of life, in a way. It's saying it's unclean. That's what it's saying. Yeah, unclean because it's a body fluid, which we know yeah. there's a reason to keep that clean, right? Otherwise, you spread the disease. But here, I'll read the rest of it. If a yeah, woman there, yeah, there's no, there's no sin... Um, offering for it it's just you gotta wash yourself right so then everyone like the catholics say that is a mortal sin if well jesus said that lusting after a woman is immortal but that's lusting this is not this is not talking about lusting right this is just, yeah it's just a discharge well seminal omission which is only one way not all the time sometimes you can have a rogue seminal discharge Okay, involuntary or whatever. Yeah, involuntary. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's condemning a person for making a voluntary versus involuntary. But I'll yeah. read uh, If a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. Well, this, this part makes sense. She's menstruating, so... We know that all body fluids are unclean. Uh, everything that she lies in her menstrual impurities shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes 
and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is on the bed or anything on which he sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. So all that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, isolate until they got to wash everything, wash yourself and just let that menstrual thing happen. But this is the part where it becomes... Uh, if a man lies with her and her menstrual impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days in every bed where he lies shall be unclean. Yeah, because he basically takes part in her menstruation. So the same applies to him as would apply to her. Right. Well, then this is kind of a no-no. Like he, I think it's a saying that they should yeah, you don't want to do for that seven days. I mean, whatever cycle, and then wait until she's done to be clean. Because it's, again, the body fluids that get transferred, and that's where you get yeah. diseases. Well, I think it's also another another thing of responsibility, too. It's like if you partake with a woman, and, and you, bo you both have knowledge of that, and you're both doing it together, so you both have to participate yeah, uh, in the ritual yeah. cleanness. Because you both are one flesh in that sense. You're unified, unified in your uncleanness, so to speak. So there's that kind of physic. there's that physical, you know, you guys need to stay separate. Right. And Well, the spiritual part. And, and then the there's the spiritual part. part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at a time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge Beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall be unclean, uncleansiness, as in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed that lies on the, all the days of her discharge shall be for impurity, and whatever she sits on shall be unclean, and as the uncleansiness of her menstrual, menstrual impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in the water, and be unclean until the evening. This kind of reminds me when that woman that bled for 14 years, how she wanted, mm -hmm. she touched his robe and, and he she became instantly healed. So the fact that this is making, you know, the woman unclean during her menstrual or any bleeding, you know, she has to be almost isolated because she can't, you can't yeah. you have to wash everything, uh, anything that she sits on. And so this goes on every single day of until she's done. So imagine bleeding for 14 years, not only that you're bleeding, but then you're cut off from society. Well, not only that, but. You can't do that which a woman was supposed to do as well. You can't get pregnant. You can't be married. You can't have any of these things that every other woman in that culture would have. And so she was uh, you, you are, nobody would be around her. You're denied all access yeah. to normal society. Yeah. So that would have been the most awful thing I think I can imagine. Like well, not not only that it was painful for her for all yeah. well, Maybe. like you have you have the pain of loneliness, then you have the pain of pain. Right. Every day. The, yeah. The frustration of going to many different doctors and priests and all these things of trying to solve something that you can't solve. Right. Yeah, like, now I think I understand her more, that story more. You know, like how desperate she was. Yeah. Well, also this whole ordeal of 
being unclean and isolated, even just for a brief time. And anything that she lies on becomes impure. And yeah, I'm, just like having to wash everything all of the time. Yeah, but nobody would be around her because she was constantly bleeding, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, And also she wouldn't be around anybody else because she'd be constantly washing everything. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that would have been like super hard life. So now I think I can appreciate that story a lot more. Uh, what she had faith in hoping that he would heal her. And she did. Because, uh, you know, what did Jesus say to her when after she touched a robe? Like, your faith healed you, mm -hmm. right? Not not only that, but it just goes to show Jesus is the true high priest because yeah. he cleansed her instantaneously. Yeah, so that all goes back to this chapter of cleaning because that's what he's doing. So every miracle that happened was a cleansing process of the mm -hmm. people, right? This, this, this actually goes directly into what we're reading right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not just miracles, you know, you always look at it as miracles, but I think I have an epiphany today that what was actually happening was he was cleansing and purifying people with all of his miracles and including the first miracle with the wine from water, right? He was Well, also, I think another thing both you and I are kind of realizing and understanding is Christ's whole life in all of his experiences was fulfilling the law like when christ says i came to fulfill the law it's true in every sense but guess what the law means this is what i think i finally realized today it's not the law of rituals and stuff the law means that it's to cleanse the the unholy to holy unclean to clean that's what mm -hmm. the law is that's what the entire yes. so when people say oh i can't keep the law well yeah you can't but really, it's because it's saying that you were unclean and you can only be clean through Christ. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But, like, the thing people don't seem to get is the law was always saying that. It was always saying that. It's just you, we couldn't understand it because it was formed in symbols and rituals. Because the devil didn't even understand the law. Yeah, well, it's it's like if I had to write an equation, sin equals death or decay equals law equals cleansiness and purity equals Jesus. So that's mm -hmm. like pretty much a train, simple. All of this was really to make people clean. That's all this was. This entire time was yeah. to make people clean and holy, and then Jesus fulfilled that. Where he was making all his miracles were really cleaning up the people basically of all their sin and death i mean i really the more like i read like this boring this quote-unquote boring stuff in leviticus the more i realize oh my gosh god did write the bible through men yeah it's like even our most creative imaginations we can't write something so fulfilling in in every sense no nope. like, it's like writing a book every part of it is like a progression into which a person is it's just it's it's kind of it passes my able my ability to uh translate like i can't come up no, with no, words to translate it no i think you hit the nail i mean the point is like this is why we're reading it and that and i always believe that god wrote the book you know and people want to argue there's different people yeah he used different 
prophets and people to write it. That's what's amazing about it. It's yeah. like the people writing the book had no idea of any but of these in, implications. Right. But the book has all of the connections still. Like there's not like a mastermind person writing this. It's God. It's it's the evidence of God's spirit writing through writing through yeah. people because well, it's writing it's, about things right. that they could have no reference point to understand. And yet now we understand them and we can look back and see, oh my gosh, none of these authors understood what they were writing. Yeah. But now we do. Like it's, it's not, it, when you look at the Bible, you're not looking at man's understanding at the time. You're actually looking at man's progressive revelation well, it's testimony of God describing to man what's happening and why. It's kind of like a cog, you know, when somebody's making a, a widget, let's say corporation, and they give each person a different job, a cog in the wheel to make it. The one person that's doing the job that has no idea what the grand project looks like or how it's going to come together. Right. But so they do their part. They make the perfect little cog, and then everybody else makes it. And then ultimately, when it's all finished, you see what the entire project is all about. So that's how I kind of view the Bible, that, yes, different people wrote it, but God was the commander-in-chief in making sure his word was put together the right way. I don't know why anybody would dispute this stuff. I, it it mind-boggles me. You know, like, um, It's out of ignorance. Um lack of understanding the lack of um like because we're all ignorant and prideful really i mean this is like even me i understand that i couldn't understand it before i like we also don't have the benefit of the holy spirit revealing things to us because like well we're just, just kind of stupid you know I, i'm kind of an idiot without without christ um i can't really understand much um actually i was praying all day that yeah, that, um, the Holy Spirit would help me understand things because I was listening to it today. I was like, I'm not going to get anything out of this. <laughs> well, I got something out of it today. Now I understand the future better as to what was happening. But I think part of the difference between some that reject the word or mock it or want to change it, uh, they're already war with God. And you and I, like, we may not understand everything, but we're for it. Like, we know this is for, you know, written by God himself, uh, using prophets, whoever. But it's, it's mm -hmm. his testimony. So, like, yeah, we might have little difficulty understanding something, but we're all on the same page, you know? Like, this yeah. Is, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think another thing is, like, we have to be okay with being humiliated, and that means we have to give up our pride and our ego in order to understand these things in order yeah. to understand. And I'm not saying that that's a work I do in myself. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does in me through God's grace that I just get to have a synergistic um, participation with. Yeah. And the other revelation that I'm still on this right now, I'm thinking that the reason why, like Jesus is saying, he's given us salvation and saves us He's saving us from this, the unclean decay and death. That's what he's saving us from. Right. He, he's going to build a whole new heaven and earth. But yeah. Like this life is about preparing us. But you know how people say, well, home. there's, you know, we all worship the same God. And it's, they're looking at it in a spiritual term, but they don't understand what Jesus actually did and is doing. 
He's mm-hmm. cleaning up. He's like, yeah, it's hard to explain, but that's kind of not, I'm kind of getting it now that. Yeah. Well, another thing is like, I don't even think all Christians are worshiping the same Christ, you know, oh, because you I have to, you have, you have to know Christ in order to actually be able to worship him. Yeah. Like, Worshipping him improperly is the same as worshipping another god. But the reason why we worship him, because we're nothing. We're nothing. We're dead in the water, literally. We're like sin and death and this leprous. We're basically leprous humans Mm -hmm. without Christ. And then we're going to... Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the reason why he did what he did. Well, not, not only do we sin, but we have the effects of sin. We have the entropy affecting all of us. And like... Even if we were guiltless and, and didn't sin, which we all do, of course, but even if we didn't, we would still have that entropy and experience diseases and, and loss and things. Because yeah, but every man has sinned, so we will yeah. by default because every person has sinned on the planet. Well, what I'm saying is, is uh, original sin also had an effect. Adam's sin oh, yeah. had an effect on the world. And cause yeah. things to decay and diseases and, and all these different things. But like, and that's why that's the point. Like Christ had to experience all these things. And he had to experience death because of of man's degener- degeneration of, of the universe. Yeah, we're basically unclean. The entire universe is death it's and like, Sin is the butterfly effect. Yeah. Which that's what he did. So when we heard it many times that God came to deliver us from sin and mm-hmm. he took the sins upon all the world. I don't think we we say that, but I don't think most people really understand that, like what that really means. But God took all of the universe's entropy upon himself. Yeah. Because what what is entropy? Entropy is the lowering states of energy, even in science. And so it's the furthering away from um, the original energetic state. Yeah, but many people reject God. So they well, are perfectly Even happy. if they reject him, they still have to admit that. Yeah. Like, and what is sin? Sin is the exact same. It's like not the exact, but it's very parallel to um, the scientific definition of how like you move from one energy state to a lower energy state to a lower energy state. Well, the sin is just moving further and further away from God, who is the highest energy state. Yeah, we would be like that mold in the walls. If it doesn't heal, if it doesn't get cleansed, mm-hmm. it's, it's all just destroyed. Gonna keep, yeah. keep getting worse and worse and worse yeah. and necrotic and necrotic and more necrotic until it's just death itself. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, that the entire humanity is on that course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. Fully necrotic house that has to be condemned and start over. Well, and it's the other thing is like, too, is just like, we often think it's like God sends us to hell. It's like, dude, like you're not thinking of it even in a way that makes sense. It's like, God's not sending you to hell. That's your, your yeah. project. That's well, they, the they want to remain. path you're going yeah. down. Well, if you analyze or you know, compared to what we're reading, that's basically saying they want to remain unclean and never purify themselves, never become holy under God's rule. So then if they rejected God, then they automatically are going in their descended state. You can't reject God and not get worse. Yeah. Like, this is, there's like, that's like, there's not, sorry, but like, that's the way it is. It's like, you can't reject light and not grow dark. Yeah, it's like that 
uh, sore festering into full grown. Yeah, you, you can't keep moving away from light and be like, well, you know what, I'll generate my own light and it'll be fine. It's like, yeah. it's not how it works. Well, I think God is showing us that, that there is yeah. a reason and purpose of why we have to tone and become clean. Otherwise, you're destroyed. That's that's. I think that's the entire message from all of this. Okay, so last few verses. But if she's cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count to herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. On the eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent meeting. The priest shall offer one for the sin offering, the other for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for unclean discharge. So this, again, kind of reminds me of what that woman that bled for 14 years. Mm. Uh, I wonder if she was doing the sin offering and the burnt offering because she never made. Well, there's you'd have to make that after you were clean. Right. So she was never clean. She was never so after. Yeah. Sin offering. I wonder if she that. made it after Jesus healed her. Yeah, I'm sure she did. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say, but it would make sense if she did. Yeah. Okay. So thus she shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleansedness so they do not die in their uncleansedness by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. Their uncleansedness, if they stay in that state, they will die and they were not allowed to defile God's house. That's his tabernacle, right? Mm -hmm. Just clean and pure and holy. If they remain in their uncleansedness, they would die. That's exactly what's going to happen in judgment time. Those people yeah. that never repented. That's why no one's going to be surprised. Like when, like they'll be terror terrified, but no one will be surprised in judgment day because of like, oh yeah, God's not being unjust. You made your decision. Yeah, because I mean, the ultimate thing is God's not going to allow any more defiling of because. Original plan for this planet and all the people was it was already clean before it got corrupted. Mm -hmm. So basically everybody already destroyed and defiled God's house. Well, here's here's the real sick part of it too, is we were given dominion over the earth. So whatever we're given dominion over participates by our actions in our consequences. If I make you ruler over a company, I make you a CEO. If that company fails, it's your fault. Like now that he's going to be building a new heaven and a new earth, he's not going to want one little sin, one little unclean person to ever defile his house. Well, the other thing is, too, is defiling God's house is moving away from God's house. Yeah, but that's, again, why the Adam and Eve sin was so serious, because it was mm -hmm. that one thing that they disobeyed and people were all like, well, that's such harsh punishment to go kick them out of the garden and make everybody pay for it for just mm -hmm. eating that fruit. But what it's really saying is that not even that one little thing that's progressed to all what we know today, you cannot defile God's house, even from that tiny, tiny speck. Well, not to mention that it's like a lot, a lot of people forget this too. It's like, Adam and Eve were both not repentant. Were they? I thought they... They were not. Good. No, so like Adam just blamed Eve and then Eve oh. blamed the serpent. None of them took responsibility and repented yeah. until after the, the punishments were divvied out. Right. Then they repented though after that, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, but like beforehand, they took no responsibility for it. Yep, they didn't. So does that mean that they're saved after they had the judgment upon them and they repented? You think they, we'll see them in heaven? I think so. Yeah, I think God went down and rescued Adam from Hades. The heralding of Hades, of course, he he took all the righteous. He he robbed hell. And took I think it would just be weird for Adam and Eve to be the first humans, and then they sin, and then everybody after that, like ah, oh, we know your story. Um. Well, you know, I think like it, we also would have done the same thing. No, oh, I you know. know. Yeah. Like. There are there are parents after all. It's like think we're better than them. It's just oh, really yeah. silly. I mean, yeah, we all sin, so essentially we're the same as Adam and Eve. But yeah, we would be. It's yeah. only by God's grace that anybody doesn't sin. I don't think there is possible not to sin, other than what Christ did. I think in terms of like you should spend your life, your your Christian life, sinning less and less, less and less, but not completely sin free. I don't think there. If ever there's a point in which I am sinless, I will be the last to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I, I don't want to fall so easily into the sin of pride. Like, if if I ever if I ever had a day without sinning, I wouldn't tell you about it. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. Um, yeah. Be like, so, you'd be too perfect for... Wow, I had a whole day, right? But without <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't... The way we live in their current society, it's I don't think it's possible. I mean, maybe it is, but it feels like it's it's a I think with Christ, I wouldn't say it's impossible. I would say with Christ it is possible. Without yeah. Christ, without the grace of God, without the Holy Spirit, without Christ, it is impossible to be sinless. That's for sure. For any time. Every day. For any I think time. We all struggle every day on that. Yeah, so, that's why we have to be we have to be in repentance. Yeah. Um. I, that's like I, I read a lot of like church. Well, not read, but listen to different writings of church fathers by you know teachers and whatnot. And a lot of them say I haven't even begun repentance. Yeah. Like the most holiest of men I've ever listened to is like I don't even feel like I've begun repenting. And I was like, yeah, but you're kind of like you but seem really good. What you're getting from? Well. I think it's just like the closer you get to Christ, yeah, the more you realize how different you are from Christ. Yeah, the closer you get to Christ, the more blinding it, it the more blinding light is from Christ, and the more dull and dark you are. But at the same time, the more bright you become. It's like yeah. it's like a contract. If well, you're actually looking, like if you're to looking to Christ, you're not looking at other people. You know, it's like you're you're solely like looking at Christ to the light of Christ and the light of Christ is, is blinding. It's, you know, it's funny that you say that. I'm thinking the more people start glowing like Moses did when he was with glory of God, then I'll know like, oh man, you have some God's glory on you, you know? Oh dude, well, here's the other thing. Moses didn't even know he was glowing because yeah. in comparison to God, he was just a mere shadow. And people so, like, are scared of him. People down, that's the effect of being close. The closer you get to God, the more conscious you are aware of your actual, your state in the presence so, of God. So that's what I'm saying. Like, if I ever see a human that's glowing and he's a Christian, then I'll know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'll know. It's like, oh, this person actually definitely has 
a deeper relationship with God yeah. than I do. Right. Yeah. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Like saints are people who, who grow in holy, who have such a close relationship with God. They reflect yeah. the best, the best way to describe them as reflecting Christ. And, and that's why I would never like, I, I, I'm, I'm nothing of a saint. That's for sure. Nothing the same. No, I think God light kind of emits through his people in some mm-hmm. sort of fashion. Maybe we don't see it readily, but I do think. You know, if God is energy and dwelling with people and who are really kind of doing his will, they, they probably will be visible, I think. Uh, maybe that's what happens with the two witnesses in the end times. Oh, I think that's going to be rather shocking. Yeah. Maybe yeah, they're think, super glowy people, you know. I think they'll glow so bright people will want to kill them. Yeah, because God's glory is going to, they're going to be pronouncing God's word testimony for three and a half years, right? Every day. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine that they're not really going to look like humans. They're going to look like the glory of God is upon them. And yeah. they have powers to do all the supernatural stuff. Well, and, and it's going to say the, the people of the earth will hate them. Yep. Like they're going to have basically Christmas when they're dead. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like everybody's going to give because the, these holy people are judging them. People are just going to go nuts. They finally get rid of these two people who constantly reminded them of their sin and yeah, their darkness. Because nothing hates light more than darkness. This is another revelation I think I'm having. So, in my view, which you know, there could be different than what other people believe, but that's fine. I think it's actually two groups of people, or it could be two literal people. Either way. But I'm thinking if they have God's anointing and protection and they're speaking and they have like extra gifts and abilities to change the weather and not get killed and all this other stuff, they're probably going to have God's light in them. I think they're going to be emitting that light. Not just like, yeah. But that's all. As times grow harder, God's mercy will grow brighter. Yeah. God's grace will grow brighter in, in those who believe and love him. Like as things get bad, people like the righteous will become more righteous. It's like the principle that Jesus talks about is just like too much is given to like Christ said, I think it's like the Matthew five principle where um, Jesus is talking how basically the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. What yeah. you, what you have what little you have will be taken from you, um, while those who have much, even more, will be given. Yeah, well, I remember the parable. So, like, if you don't use your, what was the verse again? Matthew what? Matthew twenty five twenty nine. I'll read it from twenty. So, to take the bag of gold for him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more, and then they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where he shall be weeping and gnashing his teeth. So those who are light, more light will be given to them. Right. And those who are dark, even what little light they have will be taken away. Darkened. Because everybody, I think, I think it's a matter of movement of your will to God. The movement of your will to God is repenting. Repenting is the key because they're unclean. Well, Christ made it possible for us to actually repent. Yeah, and Christ made it possible for us to repent. Right. That is kind of the message of the gospel. It's like, 
crisis is the fulfillment of the locks. We were always looking forward to the day that we could repent and actually have God dwelling in us. And the fact that all these people in here in this chapter, by participating, that's what they were doing. They were repenting. Because mm -hmm. if you don't repent, you wouldn't even care about any of those rituals, right? Yeah. So they were trying to obey God's law, which is, I'll read the last two lines here. This is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has a seminal omission and thus becomes unclean. And for her who is sick from her menstruation and for him who has a discharge for anyone, male or female, or for the man who lies with a woman is unclean. So that's the end of chapter 15. So I think like what you said that in all of these things, they're really repenting in order. That's isn't that the law? It's basically the law of repentance. If mm -hmm. you keep it, no. Yeah, I think I think absolutely. So maybe that's what law really means. It's just repentance. You know, like steps to repentance. Yeah, and so like we're benefiting from uh, Christ's fulfillment right now, but they had they hadn't even understood what Christ would be and what Christ would do. So they had to have all these rituals and types and shadows of the things that were to come but yet it is the same principle that we're both living out it's a well it's yeah a, this principle is not, i don't think it's went away like mm. the fact that it's know, just understood modern people. right i mean i think from this entire 14 and uh 15 here it's telling me that all bodily fluids are unclean how mm. we treat it for today it makes no difference it's still unclean like, I don't think it's ever said that your bodily fluids, even till today, suddenly, magically, are all clean and you can do whatever you want with them. You can't. Well, STDs are transferred that way. You can't yeah. just give, every time you exchange something, even if it's not an STD, you're emitting something unclean onto that person. Like saliva, blood, whatever. Although, well, you know, it's not like the Old Testament doesn't still teach us things. Like, I think that's why it's important too. It's like the Old Testament is very like practical in a lot of lot yeah. of ways. People seem to think like, oh, because we're not under the law anymore, we don't have to keep things clean anymore. Like we don't have to do all these rituals and stuff. It's like that's because it's more than a ritual now. You have understanding. Yeah. Even yes. Christ coming into the world brought more wisdom into the world, more yeah. understanding. Like people don't seem to realize that Christ, when he came, he transformed all of reality. Yeah. in which he touched like he, he didn't just like redeem spirituality he redeemed even the physical in a lot of senses senses not in not in the fullness of things yet but he will when he comes again you know things will be 100 percent good and everything will be clean but now we have understanding we have wisdom that christ gave us we get the benefit yeah. of hindsight and looking back and seeing what happened so it, it is both spiritual and physical um mm -hmm. the spiritual part got to care of that but the physical i think we can still learn from all the principles i mean mm -hmm. it's truly something really infectious that people are dying like the first thing i want to do is just shave off everything right that would make more yeah <laughs> so burn it all yeah, I don't think, I'm, I think we should still learn from, I think I learned a lot from all the skin diseases that, you know, especially the earlier chapter where they were inspecting for all those mm -hmm. little things. I mean, you know, the first thing that's going to go when 
things break down where you don't have access to clean water, washing and energy, you know, like those things, once that breaks down, diseases will rise. And the reason why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like if the power goes out for more than a month. Yeah, it's over, like right? Half the population will be dead. Yeah. Yeah. But those who understand how to keep clean, not mm -hmm. spiritually, but just physically, mm -hmm. I think it will make a big difference. So I, yeah. All right. So thank you so much. All right. Well, God bless you. Have a happy new year. Same to you. Bye. Bye.